Welcome to In Social Work, the podcast series of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work at www.insocialwork.org. We're glad you could join us today. The purpose of In Social Work is to engage practitioners and researchers in lifelong learning and to promote research to practice and practice to research. We educate, we connect, we care. We're In Social Work. Hi from Buffalo. So far, our February has been a lot like our typical spring. Think about it. If Buffalo loses our bad rap related to cold and snow, we'll be left with being perfect. I'm Peter Sabota. In this episode, our guest, Dr. Pablo Ariasa, acknowledges that little research exists about Spanish-speaking social workers that provide bilingual social work services. While 20% of people living in the United States speak a language other than English, there are limited mental health providers to speak with them in their native language. Spanish-speaking social workers are really scarce. Our guest argues that simply speaking and understanding another language does not equate to language competency. Dr. Areasa goes on to describe what he learned about Spanish-speaking social workers' beliefs about their own self-efficacy with the Spanish language, their importance in assisting our profession to act on its core values, their need for support, validation, and quality supervision, as well as the implications for social work practice and education. Plus, as you will hear in this episode, this might be our very first bilingual podcast. Dr. Pablo Ayasa is a social work professor at Walden University a practitioner, researcher, and consultant. His research interests include bilingual social work practice, professional and academic needs of bilingual social workers, and clinical supervision. Dr. Ariasa is independently licensed as a clinical social worker in Florida, Washington State, and Alabama, and has practiced social work for the past 23 years, with 18 years providing direct services to military families, both in the United States and abroad. Dr. Ariaso was interviewed in January of 2016 by our own Julie Hasselbeck, a current MSW student here at the UB School of Social Work, and our production associate for the In Social Work podcast series. Hello, Dr. Ariaso. Welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you, Julie. Since we are going to be talking about research today, which focuses on bilingual social workers, perhaps I should begin with saying, hola, Julie, ¿cómo estás? Estoy muy bien, ¿y usted? Oh, muy bien, gracias. Le agradezco la oportunidad de tener este tiempo para hablar sobre la investigación que publiqué recientemente sobre este tema de la práctica de trabajo social entre los trabajadores sociales que son bilingües. And that's probably where, you know, we should stop speaking Spanish to avoid linguistically isolating our audience, Julie. So um, what I've said, just to be fair to everyone listening, was to thank you, Julie, for this opportunity to speak about my recent research and publication regarding the practice of social work among bilingual social workers. I am really thrilled to be here. Thank you. Great. Again, welcome, Dr. Ariasa. Can we begin this interview by getting to know you a little bit? Would you be able to share with us more about yourself, your career trajectory as a social worker and your academic and research endeavors? 
Sure. I do love to talk about myself, so I will try to keep this brief. I was born in, in Chile, in South America, and actually moved to the States when I was about 12 years old. So I grew up in Miami, and very early on I knew in college that I wanted to major in something related to helping people. And of course, social work was pretty aligned with that uh, goal for myself, to be able to help people in different various systems. So I went to school and I majored in psychology, first of all, in my undergrad, and then I went to pursue my master's in social work. And I have been very lucky, very fortunate to have had a lot of really good support from various professors and mentors along the way. I've been a social worker for 23 years, and I have practiced social work across all levels and across the lifespan from zero to end-of-life care. And I practice, I would say, you know, I usually identify myself as a clinician, as a, a practitioner, but I have actually practiced at the micro, meso, and micro level as well. And most of my clinical experience comes from working in military systems. I have worked overseas supporting various military programs since 1995. And that has uh, really sparked my clinical interest in, in various ways. But in relation to my research here, you will see hopefully some of the experiences that I've had that uh, maybe we can talk about and how those experiences have shaped my research today. I uh, decided to go back to school to get my PhD because I wanted to understand more about a specific topic which was male victims of domestic violence. When I went to school to get my PhD, I actually changed my entire topic, as most of us do when we go back to school to pursue a doctorate. But I ended up taking a look at, actually, after a year of my doctoral studies, taking a look at end-of-life care. And that led me to actually focusing on Latinos and bereavement services in the United States. Thank you very much. It sounds like you have a wide variety of experience, which I think probably has led to this interest in understanding language. You've seen it across the board, I'm sure, in so many different areas of social work, which I just think lends a lot of credibility to the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this idea of language, I have really intersected the aspect of language in social work I have worked in Japan, in Germany, and the UK. And working in Japan, in, in Germany, I had the opportunity to interface with clients that were from uh, originally from Japan that only spoke Japanese, for example, or German. And so I had to get interpreters to, to kind of facilitate those discussions. But I never really put things together in terms of my own you know, me being bilingual. And that has been really interesting. Yeah, it sounds like it. So you've written a new article, which was published in the Journal of Social Work Education, and it was focusing on bilingual social workers. So what sparked your interest in this topic? A good question. I truly believe that as a researcher, I strive to find out more or get closer to what the truth is about social phenomena. In such a process, I have come to terms with the idea that I have to be very clear about my personal ontological view about how I personally view the truth. So ontology, of course, is being the actual way that I perceive truth. And in such a process, um, I believe that we construct such a reality based on our daily experiences, on our existence, on our presence. 
on our place, really, in society and, of course, in the way that we interact with various systems within that society. So I say this as a sort of prelude to my answer because, well, I actually became interested in this idea of learning more about bilingual social workers because people usually perceive me as being bilingual, as being a bilingual social worker, because I have been told, because I have an accent, I speak Spanish, and because my name is Pablo. So without question, I have been placed in a category in the past of being bilingual. And the the scary part for me when I started doing this research was that I personally never questioned the possibility that I was perhaps not bilingual. So I can explain. I became interested in this topic because of my own social work practice history. And then I conducted some research in Spanish and some in English. And the issue of language kept coming up. So the question then emerged for me regarding Spanish language self-efficacy. So I thought, who is best positioned, you know, to make the determination that I am or I am not bilingual? And what does that, you know, being bilingual really means? Who's really operationalizing that? So in terms of my ontological perspective, I believe that bilingualism really exists in the context of my interaction with various systems, including my personal and professional experiences, of course. You know, in 2007, I was hired as a consultant for a U.S. government program in Puerto Rico. And I traveled for a month all around this beautiful island, providing direct clinical social work services to individuals, couples, and families. And I thought it was a great opportunity. And I think that this was the very first time in my life that I began to question my linguistic skills. The first thing that happened in Puerto Rico was feeling extremely exhausted at the end of the workday, more so than usual. This was what I call a yellow sticky note for me something that I really needed to write down and pay attention to. So during this time, were you thinking as a researcher or practitioner? You know, I think at that time, although I had not started my PhD studies, I was thinking as a researcher. And as a researcher, I kept looking for those mediating factors. Was it the weather, you know, in Puerto Rico, the change in my routine, the driving in new cities, places that I was not familiar with? Was it the change in diet or, or was it the actual work? What could explain this overwhelming sense of exhaustion that I was feeling at the end of the day? And it really was more of an emotional sort of exhaustion, being really tired. A few days later, um, during those weeks, I was told by a colleague to repeat something that I was saying in English. And I repeated, and my colleague said, I'm sorry, Paul, but I can't understand you. Your accent is very pronounced and heavy. So I thought, aha, this was yet another clue that there was something about being exposed to working full-time, providing social work services in Spanish, and perhaps the way that we process information was something to pay attention to. I experienced several situations, especially in the more rural parts of Puerto Rico, where I really was not expected not to understand the language. And there were times that I really could not understand the Spanish that people were speaking. I remember that I kept asking for clarification many times to use different words to express their ideas. And the the end of the road, the nexus for me, occurred when I could not find the word for hospice in my vocabulary. And when I used the word hospicio, which is a word in Spanish for, you know, 
hotels or a place to stay, I question my bilingual skills in practice, but not, of course, in social events, because nobody had ever questioned that. But I was beginning to question, am I really truly bilingual in this context of practice? So was this experience often when people go to use a another language it might be a little bit of a frightening experience was that at all scary to come to that point in which you thought I'm not sure whether I'm bilingual or not it was worrisome to me because I began to question what I had done in the past as a good uh, social work practitioner I'm always mindful and self-aware of my practice and enhancing my practice and of course, practicing with the most evidence-based interventions and not knowing if I had actually been bilingual, if I had been representing my clients in the best way was indeed worrisome to me. And I began to look for some answers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So was this experience in Puerto Rico the impetus of your current research? Yeah, you know, I think that that was the beginning. I started questioning my practice and my Spanish. And right after that experience in Puerto Rico, I had the opportunity to engage in some research in Chile, in my birth country, of course. My research related in, in Chile to people that were dying of cancer and attempting to understand their experiences as well as the experiences of their primary caregivers. And although I was born in Chile, I no longer have a Chilean accent when I speak Castellano, which is what we call Spanish in Chile. On the way to, I remember on the way to interview the participants, the taxi driver asked me, ¿De dónde es usted? And, you know, which means where I was from. And he didn't believe me when I told him that I was Chileno. Then upon meeting the participants for the first time, guess what they've asked me? De adonde es usted? <laughs> you know, where I was from. So my lack of Chilean accent immediately placed me, even unconsciously, on the outsider role uh, in an outside place. I was no longer perceived as an insider, as a Chileno, as someone that shared their own values, beliefs, and customs. My accent was giving it all away. So I had to take extra steps to actually establish trust, emotional safety, and also rapport when I was conducting those focus groups. So those extra steps were a surprise as that was where you were from and you expected to be kind of welcomed back in emotionally yourself and by the people you were engaging with. That was very interesting. So how did you build that rapport? You know, because I was conducting a qualitative study in Chile, I engaged in a very strict and rigorous process of self-reflection which led to this awareness about language self-efficacy and language proficiency. So the language aspect was very much represented in my interaction with the participants, how they responded to me and how the emotional safety factor was established. I realized that I was processing information in two languages simultaneously. And I don't really think that I was doing a good job. I remember during these focus groups, I took some notes, but they were in English. And I only wrote down words in Castellano when I could not find the English equivalents in my brain. Later, while listening to the recordings of the groups, I became aware that I was listening to the information in Spanish, but I was immediately translating it into English in my brain. 
when I analyzed the data, I began to do the same thing, actually. So there were no guidelines for me on how to do that. So I stopped and decided that I needed to analyze the data first in Spanish, then translate transcriptions from Spanish over to English, and then analyze the data in English and attempt to converse the findings. This was a really exhausting sort of way of analyzing the data, but it was the only way, Julie, that I could sort of understand how to understand the data, both in Spanish, which was quite different when I translated it to English. I think that you probably read, most of us have read something related to translating information from one language to another. And when we translate information from one language to another, we lose data, we lose meaning. And that's what the exact same thing that I was trying to avoid was to attempt to not lose the meaning and represent the participants. So these experiences have provided you know, several opportunities really for me to learn more about being bilingual and how the language aspect of who we are intersects social work practice across those systems, the micro, the meso, and the macro levels. I consulted the literature and found some research addressing the role of bilingual social workers, but nothing truly specific to language self-efficacy. And this was a long, long answer, Julie, to your question. Yeah, it does sound very interesting. We do know that when you translate, you do, as you just said, lose some of the meaning that sometimes can't possibly be translated from one language to another. Yes. That's very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And, and you know, if I may give you a very quick example, when I was translating and coding in qualitative methodology, I was coding my information. There came a point when one of the participants had spoken about Dios, D-I-O-S, which means to most of us, God. And she was speaking about her relationship with her Dios. And I didn't even question that in the focus group that I was doing. I immediately took it for face value that what she meant was God. And when I did the member check-in, back when I actually coded the information and analyzed the data, and I actually contacted this participant and I specifically talked about her God, the Dios, and she corrected me. She said, you know, I was not talking about God. I was talking about El Señor. And I said, oh, okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. And so she began to tell me the difference between Dios and El Señor. It was really fascinating when I went back to listen to those transcriptions. She actually mentioned El Señor, but I heard Dios. <laughs> so it was really fascinating to even just acknowledge that I was not 100% listening to what the participant was telling me, that I merely took it as Dios instead of El Señor, which had a more spiritual connection rather than a religious connection for her. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of evidence to show that what we are raised with and surrounded by impacts how we hear people. That's great. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Absolutely. We are influenced by our experiences. That's my ontological perspective, yes. So you talked a bit about how you were disappointed to see that not much has been written about this, but can you tell us a little bit if anything has been written about this? What has been written? Do we know much about bilingual social workers? I'm going to ask this question in Spanish now so we can get a feel about what it would be like to be linguistically isolated, since this is the issue that you address in your article. And if you could answer the question in Spanish, Dr. Ariasa, and then in English, that would be great. 
So, ¿qué, ¿Qué información existe en este momento sobre este tema? ¿Qué sabemos sobre los trabajadores sociales que son bilingües? Muy buena pregunta, Julie. La mayoría de las investigaciones sobre este tema no se han hecho directamente con la idea de investigar la capacitación lingüística de los trabajadores bilingües. Eh, los estudios que, que yo encontré existen en otras facultades, por ejemplo, en medicina, enfermería y pedagogía, pero no trabajo social. Lo que se ha escrito sobre el tema de trabajadores sociales bilingües ha sido relacionado con el tema de, la, de las perspectivas de estos trabajadores sociales y cuestiones laborales de justicia sobre el trabajo. Yo tuve que incluir investigaciones de las facultades de pedagogía, por ejemplo, en el estudio para, para desarrollar el cuestionario que utilicé con los participantes. En realidad, no sabemos mucho sobre este tema. So I'll go ahead and translate it. I'll try to translate it into English. So uh, I said this was a good question, Julie. Actually, the majority of the research on this subject has not been carried out with the idea of directly researching linguistic capacity or even self-efficacy of bilingual social workers. That's what I found really interesting. What I found and used in the study Uh, existed in other disciplines such as medicine, nursing, and the educational literature. What has been written about this topic, bilingual social workers, has been focused on the perspectives of these social workers. And also, I found a couple of articles focused on the work-related needs of these bilingual social workers in relation to a balanced workload and fair compensation for their work when being used as a bilingual social worker. I had to step out of the social work literature and look at the education literature to find a survey that I was able to adapt and use to sample the participants of my study. So no such tool existed in the social work literature. We truly do not know much about this topic. Which is so interesting since social workers are frequently serving people who are Spanish-speaking or serving people who speak a different language other than English as the primary language. It seems like we are missing a big piece that you found. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as researchers, we get excited when we find a gap, you know, <laughs> in the literature or in, in a knowledge base. And I was excited to find this area and I truly do want to understand it more. And, and there's so much value for me because I'm also perceived as a bilingual social worker. And I have in the past. And as I mentioned, I really want to understand what that means. And also I want to understand how that is translated in clinical practice, how it intersects the provision of social work services, really. Beautiful. Thank you. So in order for us to understand a little bit more about your research, can you talk about the methodology of your study? Sure. This was not a very complicated methodology. This was a primarily an exploratory cross-sectional study. I used closed-ended surveys and an open-ended section to obtain information from the participants. There is a mixed method component to this study, but at this point, I think it, it would just be fair to say that it was an exploratory cross-sectional study. I was extremely thankful, and I should be able to say this, to thank the Latino Social Work Organization, LSWO, who truly supported my study by sending an email on my behalf to their listserv. At the time, I think that the listserv had about 800 to maybe 1,000 email addresses of social workers who interacted with the LSWO. 
Prior to sending this survey, I presented the study at the 2010 annual LSWO conference to generate some interest. And the web-based survey that I created was sent twice to that listserv, and I received a total of 321 responses, which was pretty good. I was really, really happy with that high response rate. The survey that I created had four sections. The first section I labeled Spanish language abilities. I asked participants to answer 14 lecture-type questions to rate their comfort level with listening and speaking language skills in Spanish. This survey was adapted from an existing survey that focused on teachers' language skills, but adapted so we could address the social work skills. I did, however, create one specific question on my own to explore self-perceived language competence. And this question was, quote, when providing social work services in Spanish, there are times when I feel that my Spanish language skills are not adequate, unquote. The second section of the survey focused on the participants' self-efficacy beliefs around five social work competency categories, case management, treatment planning, supportive interventions, evaluation and treatment planning, and psychotherapy. This section was also adapted to fit the social work profession. And the, the third section of the survey was an open-ended section that inquired about the participants' professional needs. I wanted to provide participants, you know, with the opportunity to share their own thoughts and ideas about their professional needs. And the last section, as in with every survey that we usually complete, had some demographic information that I asked for. Wonderful. So what were you hoping to accomplish with your research study? In other words, what were some of your goals of your research? Sure. My overarching goal was to understand the role that language plays in social work practice when the provider self-identifies as bilingual or the social worker is perceived as being bilingual. I do not want to start with the premise, I should have said this earlier, but I really don't want to start with this idea that social workers who self-identify as bilinguals are not competent in facilitating social work services in Spanish, for example. I have the highest respect for bilingual social workers as they are often underpaid, work very long hours, have large caseloads, and are often not compensating for their language skills. So what I'm curious about is actually learning more about the meaning attached to being bilingual and how bilingual social workers account for working in a bilingual system without maybe effective support, such as processing information and supervision in Spanish, of course. That's the key for me that I really do believe that we need to have mechanisms in place for bilingual social workers to be able to process information in Spanish. I'm curious about how to actually determine social workers' language skills and identifying applicable and even sustainable systems to not only assess language skills, but maybe promote a greater sense of language competence among bilingual social workers. Absolutely, because if a worker comes in and says they are bilingual and no one in the office is even identifying as bilingual themselves, who's to say that person has the skills necessary to engage with the clients? If they put it on their resume, 
who's the one who's going to be checking up on them to make sure that they can indeed fulfill this role. Exactly. And you know, with that, that's a really good point. So sometimes we go to these continuing education trainings and we get usually a little certificate, right? Well, there's no certificate for being bilingual. You don't get a certificate of completion or of competency that you can say, I am bilingual and I'm capable to work with uh, people who speak Mandarin or Spanish or French. We don't have that. Yeah. So what were some of the key findings or conclusions from your study? Sure. What I found was that in general, bilingual social workers tend to rate their Spanish language skills fairly high. That was on the five self-efficacy ratings in relation to social work skills. And that was not a huge surprise to me because I think that as human beings, we do tend to perceive ourselves sometimes or rate ourselves higher on skills like that. There were some slight differences between participants reporting being bilingual at home and at work and those participants who only spoke Spanish either at home or only at work. These are interesting to know because in previous research, people who described themselves as bilingual tended to predict with much more accuracy their speaking and listening language skills in Spanish than in English. So this sort of confirms the findings of my study that those social workers reporting being bilingual at home or at work also rated themselves higher on several of the self-efficacy measures. But in all honesty, you know, Julie, the most significant finding for me as a researcher and also the platform to continue this research was looking at the answers to that question that I created, which was when providing social work services in Spanish, there are times when I feel that my Spanish language skills are not adequate. You know, over 46% of these participants were in agreement that there are times that their language skills are not adequate. So this is interesting because there seems to be some doubt about language self-competence when explicitly asking participants to self-reflect on their language competence. I found that really, really interesting. And some of that was also evident in some of the qualitative, open-ended responses that the participants provided. So that sort of corroborated with that. So there is a hint that, you know, I can rate myself pretty high. If you're asking me to do all of these things in social work, I can do them. But when I question myself, has there ever been a time, you know, that I'm kind of worried about my language skills? I would say more than half of the participants um, mentioned that, yes, they have. So considering this information, how does the research intersect with the values of the social work profession? I believe that the topic that I'm addressing here intersects various core values of the social work profession, such as social justice, dignity, worth of the person, integrity, and of course, competence. I am truly advocating learning more about bilingual social workers, their language needs, and their professional needs, because we have to be accountable for our professional services and accountable to our clients. I believe that my research intersects social justice, for example, on several levels. People with a language difference have a right to receive psychosocial services in a language that they understand and that the social worker is able to be fluent and competent in that language. So social justice issues emerge when we practice outside of those standards of our practice and, for example, assume the label of being bilingual without questioning or assessing our language competence. Too many times family members, especially children, have been used to translate for their parents. And this is really not acceptable. I mean, there's research that shows how children 
can be traumatized when they are translating not very good news to a family member. Right. And there's also power issues and family ties. If they're tied to one family member more than the other, it sounds like I agree. There are lots of issues that come about as a result of this. And as you were talking, something else that came to mind was on the issue of supervision that you had discussed briefly earlier about being able to process things in Spanish and even the idea that if a social worker is concerned, if the worker begins to think about whether or not their language abilities are impacting the work, how comfortable would the worker really be to approach the supervisor with this topic? Would this jeopardize their employment? That's kind of what came to mind as you were talking. That's a really good question. (laughs) Really good critical thinking. I like that because it is a reality that if we begin to question ourselves as not having that ability to work with a specific group of people, that we may be perceived a little bit differently and that that the fear may be, you're right, that they may lose their jobs. I do believe that we, for those of us that either are perceived as being bilingual or self-identify as bilingual, that we really need to begin the process of bringing this up in supervision and identifying areas of growth and areas of need. This is an ethical matter. You know, if we are questioning our language skills in sessions, for example, it is our ethical responsibility to be able to embrace that and find ways for growth. Our supervisors must be aware that being bilingual falls on a continuum that we may be bilingual in social settings, but we may not be fully bilingual in a professional setting. And that we may be competent to assess for needs, but perhaps we're not best positioned to do the actual treatment. This, of course, opens the dialogue for identifying opportunities for training at the micro, meso, and macro levels. And I do feel that it is an ethical responsibility that we have to be able to engage in the self-assessment of our skills. And, And language is part of those skills. Just because we are talking about language does not mean that that's not part of our skill set. If we are promoting ourselves as being bilingual, then our ethical responsibility is to practice at the highest competent level of linguistic competency. Absolutely. And it sounds like this could potentially open up a whole new door for understanding how to best train social workers. That's not the topic of today, but it sounds like it could be an entirely new interview. So one point that I found very interesting in your discussion is this idea that we have people in the United States who are linguistically isolated and or have limited English proficiency. So how does this relate to your research? Yeah, those terms have been used in the literature. You will find those two terms in the literature. And in my article, I discussed that the number of people with um, a language difference in the United States, it has increased in the past 20 years. It has been estimated that more than 20% of people in the U.S actually speak another language besides English. I honestly believe that this number is probably um, much higher than that now. These terms, linguistically isolated and limited English proficiency, exist in the current literature, and some researchers have actually challenged these labels as being oppressive and also coming from a deficit-based model. I personally prefer to use the terms language difference to identify people who may not speak English proficiently and who are usually in need of a qualified interpreter. Identifying the language needs of people with a language difference 
facts can be addressed from various points. There are many ways, of course, to know what the truth is. However, with my research, I am proposing to begin with ourselves, which goes back to your previous question about the responsibility in addressing this with our supervisors. We must begin with ourselves. We are the social workers, and we must take responsibility for our skills. We are really best positioned to assess the language needs of people with a language difference, and we must, however, begin with ourselves, as I mentioned. That is of utmost importance. Absolutely. So it sounds like you're saying we need to have a strengths-based perspective in understanding other languages that are spoken, that just because they don't speak English, it doesn't mean that they are less than, but rather it's just a different culture. It's a different understanding. And also that just like in any issue, in any kind of concern that might come up, if we haven't looked at ourselves first, we have no right, nor do we have a good perspective to be able to analyze someone else. Absolutely. That's well said. Yes. We are privileged to be working with the people that come to see us. And the first responsibility that we have, of course, is to our clients. But we do have that responsibility to be competent and to make sure that we are as bias-free as possible and as competent as possible to work with that individual, that family, or that group. If we are not the best social workers position in terms of linguistic skills, then we can continue working with that family, but we must secure an interpreter. We must secure someone that can understand not only the linguistic part of it, Julie, but also the cultural nuances that that emerge. Yeah. So what are some of the implications that your research has for social work practice? Well, you know, our work is intersected by our social work values, and one of these values is of competence. So we must attain a level of competence congruent with the services that we're providing. When we communicate with clients with a language difference, we may, without thinking, you know, disempower clients. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by disempowerment? Sure. If I'm working with someone with a language difference and I say, yo hablo un poquito de español, I speak a little bit of Spanish, right? That's what it means. The client may be content to know that I'm able to connect with them at some level. But speaking un poquito is not sufficient. I really need to be fluent. If we do not offer interpreter services, we are possibly disempowering the client from seeking a qualified interpreter in the future. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it may give them this negative perception of social services that are available and may isolate them further. Yes, definitely. So are there any other practice-related concerns here? Well, another issue in practice is that I believe that we need to understand this issue of bilingualism in social work practice from various perspectives. So yes, our practice can be influenced by our language skills. Clients may experience longer treatment as a result of language barriers existing in the dyad between the social worker and the client. I also believe that there is a need to have qualified bilingual social work clinical supervisors able to process information in the language being used in the sessions. As social workers, we're trained to work within systems and addressing the gaps in these systems. So social work practice exists within this micro, meso, and micro systems. We can address our practice needs from our interactions with people with a language difference. The responsibility of local agencies and communities, and also on a greater level, by creating policies to enhance the provision of services to all people, including people with language difference. Absolutely. So you talked a bit about wanting to make sure that anyone who is listening, who is a bilingual social worker, understands that 
that you are trying to empower them through this. So what do you want bilingual social workers to know about your research? I would like for them to assess their language skills when working with people with a language difference, to identify and address professional needs associated with their language skills, and to continue advocating for the needs of people with a language difference. Absolutely, which I think plays a whole role. You use the word advocate, that if they're advocating for the work done, that through that, they are advocating for people who are often pushed aside and pushed into the shadows. Yeah. And, you know, as you were saying that, I also think that it's important for us to advocate for ourselves as professionals, as social workers, because oftentimes we don't do that really well. We do that really well for clients, but sometimes we don't do that really well for ourselves in our profession. And we do need to advocate, um, you know, to, to be able to have the resources that we need to be able to provide the services that the clients require. So it sounds like by putting forth the effort and the work to advocate for oneself, in a sense, you are acting in a form of self-care to better the work environment that you're in. Absolutely. You took the words self-care right out of my mind. That's excellent. Yes. (laughs) Wonderful. So what's next for you? Do you have any plans to pursue any other studies on this subject? Yes, I'm very excited. (laughs) I'm actually in the process of completing my second article from this data where I discuss the professional needs of bilingual social workers. I also want to pursue this topic by conducting a national study where I'm also collecting information from social workers that are bilingual but speak and work with clients in another language besides Spanish. Although Spanish tends to be highlighted a lot, I want to understand social workers' professional needs in relation to being bilingual. You know, we have social workers who are working with clients from other countries who speak different languages in western part of our country. You know, we have uh, many people from Asia, and we have many social workers that actually speak another language besides English and Spanish. They may speak Chinese, Mandarin, other dialects, and it would be fascinating to learn how they actually negotiate those systems and and the professional needs that they have as being a bilingual social worker. That's great. And we look forward to seeing how your research expands as you move from this one language to many. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm very, very excited about it. (laughs) So is there anything that I've not asked you that you think might be important for us to know about your research? Uh, no, so I will finish in Spanish. Muchas gracias, Julie, por, por esta entrevista y espero poder hablar de este tema otra vez en el futuro con ustedes. So, no, I think that we've done a lot. This It's almost been an hour that we've talked. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you for this interview. And, and I hope to be able to speak with you once again in the future about this topic. More information can be accessed by reading the article that was published. And, of course, if anyone has any questions, please please feel free to contact me. Gracias. Thank you to you, Dr. Arias. Thank you, Julie. You have been listening to Dr. Pablo Arias discuss Spanish language self-efficacy beliefs among Spanish-speaking social workers on In Social Work. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, professor and dean of the University of Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We look forward to your continued support of the series. For more information about who we are as a school, our history, our online and on-the-ground degree in continuing education programs, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.com.
www.buffalo.edu. And while you're there, check out our Technology and Social Work Resource Center. You'll find it under the Community Resources menu.